0: Add my welcome to you all today, and I do invite you to turn in your Bibles or your electronic devices to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 9. <clears throat> it's increasingly striking to me the older I get that so much of the Christian life is exercising wisdom and virtue in the moment. Yes, there are principles and very clear uh, commands that God says apply to all of us. And I believe that most Christians can distinguish fairly easily um, between right and wrong, between what is good and what is evil. But, but sometimes, many times, maybe most of the time, we're not so sure when it comes to wisdom. We're not so sure with what's wise in a particular situation. A recent conversation had just a week or so ago with some old friends regarding kids, their kids, our kids, and things that we've been gleaning over the years about parenting. And we all agreed that while it's true there are principles, there are solid, good, biblical principles that have served us, that have guided us, are foundational for us to stand on, what we have also needed is wisdom, virtue, Grace in each particular situation. So parenting wisely means knowing how different each child is, understanding your own situation, knowing yourself, knowing your own particular strengths and or limitations, as well as the ability and the discernment and the skill as to how to nurture them and lead them in each particular situation. One size does not fit all, and that's true in parenting or if you're trying to decide whether you should fix that old car or replace it or take a new job or stay put or sell the house now or wait another year or dozens and dozens and dozens of other daily questions. So the the real question is, how can we as Christians be wise? We know that there are wise and foolish options in the world. We know there are wise and foolish examples of how to live in this world. And we need this <clears throat> discernment to, to navigate the difference. And that's why we turn our attention to the Bible. That's why we turn our attention to the wisdom of God's Word. It's why we've been lingering this summer under the sun in this wisdom book of Ecclesiastes. And today we're going to give our attention to Chapter 9, verse 13, beginning in verse 13, we're going to go all the way through chapter 10. Uh, I'm not going to read the entire text right now, but I invite you to follow along as I do read chapter 9, verses 13 to 18. I've also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. It was a little city with few men in it. And a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man. And he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is Better than might. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. But one sinner destroys much good this is the word of the Lord let's pray together oh father you've you've loved you've loved so much you loved and out of the overflow of your love and joy and pleasure you created created this world you created us you created us with bodies and minds and you you gave us music to sing and you've given us the beauty of this earth to enjoy and you've given us food to eat and you've supplied everything that you've needed and 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 you've given us most of all yourself what an expression of your love and 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 what glorious love is it that you would speak to us that you'd communicate through your word and what love it is, as we've just sung, that You would love people who don't love You. You, you love those who run from you. you. You love and You love and You sent Your Son and You have captured us from our hell-bound race and You've drawn us to Yourself and You've given us the love of Your forgiveness and the love of Your goodness and wisdom. And You've given us each other. You've you've given us the church. You've given us spiritual community whereby You pour out Your Spirit and You you show Your love and Your tenderness and Your patience and Your kindness and Your goodness and Your long-suffering through people. And You give us gifts by Your Spirit. Oh, thank you, God, for all these manifestations of your great, great care and love for your people. And now, Lord, we just want to hear you, want to receive of your wisdom for us. And so, Lord, we're depending on you now to bring illumination and inclination of our hearts so that we might will and act according to your good purpose. We ask these things through through faith in the one who makes it all possible, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, <clears throat> verse 13, really all the way through chapter 11, it, it just has a completely different feel from anything that we've, we've been seeing in the book of Ecclesiastes up to this point. It's a different style. This is really more like traditional wisdom. It's, it's really like the book of Proverbs itself. Get these little stories and these little parables and these pithy sayings, such as Ecclesiastes 10:1. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. Okay. Or Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 11. If the serpent bites before its charm, there is no advantage to the charmer. Hard to push back on that. Uh, or Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 3. Where we'll come to this one next week. If a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. There's one to memorize. <laughs> Stay with you. <laughs> Actually, you know, um, I, I've heard that R.C. Sproul, maybe that name rings a bell with you, R.C. Sproul attributes Ecclesiastes 11.3 to, to his conversion. <laughs> I, I want to know more about that, but that's what I've heard. <clears throat> so you have these kind of universal statements, right? And you can see by the form and the style of this passage that, that there's an intentional, self-conscious setting forth of wisdom for the reader, for us, on the part of the preacher. And he explicitly says that wisdom is his topic. He says it in Ecclesiastes 9.13 where it begins, I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun. So his purpose is to tell us that wisdom, wise living, is the subject matter of this text. Now, this passage has two main parts. In chapter 9, verses 13 to 18, the writer is making this general point. He's kind of a, a setting forth his, his, um, the main principle. And then in chapter 10, the writer works out the application of this proposition, this main point, into four areas of our daily lives. So here's the main point. Wisdom is better than foolishness. Though a little foolishness can undo much wisdom. Wisdom is better than foolishness. But a little foolishness can undo much wisdom. I get that partly from chapter 9 verse 11. Ryan helped us last week to think rightly about the preacher's statement in Ecclesiastes 9.11, he says, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. You read that and, and, and then you say, well, well, then what's the point? What's the point of wisdom? What's the point of trying to even bother living wisely? But that is not the preacher's conclusion. Rather, the preacher Presses home the very real value of wisdom, even though things don't always go the way we'd like them to go. Wisdom is still far and away the better way to live. And to illustrate this, he tells us this little story in chapter 9, verses 14 to 16. So there's this little city with few people in it. And in this small city, it's, it's being besieged by a big king and a big army. Things are looking desperate for the city. But in that city is this poor but wise man. And apparently through some strategy or perhaps some diplomatic effort, we're not told, he saves the city. And, and through this story, the preacher's showing that wisdom is really powerful. It's It's a huge deal. Wisdom is more powerful than all the things that we ordinarily think of. And he repeats this point three times. In verse 16 he says, But I say that wisdom is better than might. Verse 17, The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. And then in verse 18, Wisdom is better. Better than weapons of war. So, this, this little incident of that wise man saving that little city against insurmountable odds, it proves beyond a shadow of a doubt the superior value of wisdom. So the point is clear, right? The preacher is commending wisdom. Wisdom is good. Wisdom, it, it's, it's, it's better in all situations for all of us. All, of all the things that you could have, wisdom is better, but he also knows that wisdom is not always valued in this world He, he recognizes that things like wealth or social class or military power or in our times media leverage these are way, these are far more impressive to people, generally speaking, and so he also knows that the value of wisdom then can be easily forgotten. We're all fickle. Look at verse 15. Yet, in spite of this astonishing display of the value of wisdom, no one remembered that poor man. But though no one remembered the poor man, in spite of that, still, verse 16 says, but I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. So even though people are fickle, even though life isn't fair, still wisdom is to be greatly preferred over everything else. Wisdom is what we should pursue. And then he speaks a very jarring word of brutal realism at the end of verse 18. But, one sinner destroys much good. Wisdom is better than foolishness, but a little foolishness, can undo much wisdom. I think that's the point of the dead fly proverb. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So, or in the same way, a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A little, a little folly, it, it can mess up a lot of wisdom. It takes far less to damage something than to build it it is easier to use the vernacular here it's easier to make a stink than create sweetness all it takes all it takes is one rash unthoughtful word all it takes is a hasty decision all it takes is a foolish momentary pleasure All it takes is one angry outburst. These are the the things you kind of, at least I I cringe at the thought of what I'm, the potential of what I, I could do at any moment. You just wreck the whole thing. Wisdom is so much better than foolishness. But a little foolishness can do a lot of damage. That's the main point. Yes, wisdom has its limitations. Yes, wisdom is not always given its proper place and respect and regard in this world, but it's still, it is still the right thing. It's still the better way. You want to be wise. You don't want to be a fool. And you you see, loved ones, there's really only two options. Look at chapter 10, verse 2. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Meaning, you know, at, at the, at really at, at the heart level. It, it, it's the inner life. It, it's, it's, the, it's at the heart level of the wise and the foolish person. That, that's where things are set in completely different directions. Notice verse 3. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he's a fool. So even when he's trying to, to do something just normal, respectfully, you know, he, he can't conceal his foolishness. He just shows up. He or she is <clears throat> characterized by this impulsiveness because his or her heart, is, it's inclined in a very... They're, they're inclined in different directions. It's, it's right here that we, we really need to pause and to ask ourselves, which one am I? It's so important to remember that uh, wisdom and folly, th- these things are fundamentally inclinations of the heart. They are fundamentally the posture of the heart. They are fundamentally the disposition of the heart. So we have to ask ourselves, honestly, which way is my heart inclined? Is it inclined toward God and recognizing Him as God and seeking to follow Him as God and honor Him as God? Or is my heart inclined away from God? and to be all about myself. One should not want to be a fool. Not just because you don't want to miss out on on, the, the good of living wisely. You don't want to be a fool because, and this is the main point of the text again, right? Foolishness destroys. It wrecks things. Wisdom is better than foolishness. Though a little foolishness can undo a lot of wisdom, so that's the main point. It, how does it get worked out in life? And and then in chapter ten, the preacher lays out four areas, four categories. Kind of lays them out. <laughs> I say kind of because you know it's just it's just not a neat, tidy, organized text. Uh, but I believe that's part of the point, actually. It, that that's Ecclesiastes chapter ten is is a lot like life. It's a lot like my life this past week. It's it's, it's messy. It's choppy. You know, it's sometimes marked by ambiguities. And uh, but but still, there are four areas here, and uh, and here they are. There is there is wise teaching regarding. Wise and foolish authority in our lives. There is teaching regarding wise and foolish approach to work. There is teaching regarding wise and foolish speech. And then there is teaching, wise teaching regarding wise and foolish national leadership, which always probably seems relevant in these times. So we're, well, let's look at them one at a time here. First of all, wise and foolish authority. and and how to live with wise and foolish authority, leadership over us wisely. Chapter 10, verses 4 through 7. So if the anger of the ruler, one who has authority over you, rises against you, do not leave your place. For calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I've seen under the sun as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. So the preacher is, he's painting this picture of what happens when, when foolish people are in positions of authority. You can think of a lot of, you know, Different settings, like local government, could be your where you're working, uh, places of business, educational institutions, so on and so forth. And and what happens when foolish people are in positions of leadership and authority is that other people end up positioned in all the wrong places. You've seen this, where you know there, there's a business or a workplace or a school or whatnot. And, and and you've got these ill-equipped people. They are elevated to high positions. And the ones who really have all the, the ability and they've proven themselves, they're marginalized. And you just go, what? You see it's such a, a picture of poor management. And in verse four we're told what wisdom looks like in us when we're in a situation like that. Where you're having to deal with fools over you, and here's God's word: Don't hyperventilate. Don't panic. Don't leave in a huff or in a fit of pride. And don't even use a, an excuse like, you know, it's just a matter of principle. I'm I'm out of here. When you know that, you know it's something deeper within you. Instead, when we have to deal with p- foolish people over us, wisdom responds with calmness that serves to settle the situation. That is, we don't respond in kind as we're all naturally tempted to do. Instead, we live out the character of Christ For Christians, we live out of the character of Christ in union with Christ, who when He was reviled, reviled not in return, but entrusted Himself to the one who judges justly. Loved ones, this is Christ-like wisdom and virtue in the face of foolishness and unrighteousness over you. You just don't react and huff off. Calmness can bring Peace and healing in those situations. And even if it doesn't bring, if if it doesn't affect the the behavior of the fool that's over you, at least the wisdom will greatly help the people who are around you. It'll help them. And at the end of the day, when you when you go to bed at night, you'll hear from the Lord. Well done today. Well done. And in these situations, we just let the wisdom and the righteousness of Jesus, who is in us, shape and animate the way that we respond. Here's a second category. Wise and foolish workers. And how to work wisely. Whatever it is that you're working on. Look at verses 8-11. through He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. Now, I, I, I'm, I trust that verses the whole point of verses 8 and 9 is clear. Um, here, I think it's clear. <laughs> Essentially, all labor, whatever it is that you do, it, it all entails a certain amount of risk. There's an unavoidable degree of Uncertainty and unexpectedness in all of life's affairs. That's that's just the way it is. It doesn't matter what it is that you're doing. If you're digging a trench and the side falls in, somebody you know somebody falls in there. They're injured sometimes seriously. You knock down a wall and there's a snake in there, or a hornet's nest, or an ungrounded wire, or you know construction wasn't up to code. You're gonna have that 's just part of the risk of doing business right you 're breaking up pavement or using a power tool and some chip of something flies off and hits you in the eye, or, or you 're cleaning up some tree limbs in your yard and you're, whatever it is you 're using your axe or your saw or whatnot slips it you know, leaves you with a bloody gash that These are all just little pictures illustrating what it 's like to live and work in a world, a fallen world, a world. Not Eden. It is a fallen world that is completely this side of eternity subject to frustration. So don't be shocked. There's risk out there. Unfortunate things happen no matter what you're working on. But now, verse 11, this is, this is a little more challenging. If the serpent bites before its term, there's no advantage to the term. Now, the truth of that is obvious, right? Um, but what is the point of it? And we're not quite sure. It it, it could be talking about avoiding overly risky behavior. You know, snake charmers, that's probably aren't going to get insurance if that's your job, you know. (laughs) Um, Or it could be saying, and, and this is what I think it's saying, if you've got work to do, then get to it. Get right to it. Bad things happen to people who procrastinate. You dilly-dally, it's going to bite you. It's hard to know what the meaning is, but I think it's probably the second. But, but here's what is clear in the text. Verse, this is the principle in verse 10. Wisdom applied to our daily affairs, it, it has the same effect as taking the time to sharpen a tool before using it. You know, it's taking the time to sharpen your axe before you go out and try to split wood. Even though we don't eliminate all the risk, there's great wisdom in just preparation. You're looking ahead. This applies to all kinds of endeavors. It applies to our work, it applies to our relationships, it applies to our marriages, it applies to making and multiplying disciples, living wisely. It might take a little more time at the beginning, but it's gonna yield a much better result in the long run. Right. Here's a third category, wise and foolish speech. And of course, you know, if you're ever gonna talk about wisdom, sooner or later you're gonna to have to talk about talking. <clears throat> because talking is such a huge part of our lives, which makes it a very challenging area. For Christ like wisdom in the Christian life. So look at verse 12. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of, his, of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words. Though no man knows what it is to be. And who can tell him what will be after him? Verse 20. Even in your thoughts do not curse the king. Nor in your bedroom, private privacy, curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice. Or some winged creature will tell the matter. You, know, you, 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 cur- you talk that way, it's, it's going to be found out sooner or later. Now, verse thirteen. It's it's a very insightful and sobering observation. When it comes to a fool, you know, at first it just seems like his speech is just it's just foolish, just sort of dumb. But you you leave foolish talk unchecked, and it will become evil and unreasonable. It's just madness. And it's all because he or she does not begin with God. The problem is, is uh, fools talk about things they don't really know about. Of course, you probably never do that. I do. <clears throat> and, and the reason I find it tempting to want to speak into a situation that I really don't know a lot about... Is because I want people to think that I know something about it. That That's the whole point of verse 14. And then there's the problem of talking about things we do know about. With grumbling and anger and fighting and even cursing. And, and the essence of the problem is really found back at the beginning of verse 14. Um, a fool multiplies words. They don't just they don't just say words. They don't just add words. They they just run them up. Multiplication. Fools talk too much. I, I remember somebody saying, stayed with me, wise men speak because they have something to say. Fools speak because they have to say something. Loved ones... Let us allow the wisdom and righteousness of Jesus, who always speaks gracious words, animate our speech. Fourth, this has to do with wise and foolish national leadership and how we should see it, how we should respond to it. I'm not sure if we really highlighted it much, but government is a regular theme in the book of Ecclesiastes. And here here the preacher addresses how it gets worked out. Government happens in a fallen world. Verse 16, woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility and your prince's feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth, the roof sinks in and through indolence, the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter. Wine gladdens life and money answers everything. So the, the, the simple part of this is, is that wise leadership is, is really, is a, it's a very real blessing to a nation. And on the other hand, foolish leadership, it's a hardship on everybody. Woe to you, O land, if your leaders are immature. Woe to you if your leaders are living for themselves and their own gain. But happy are you, O land, when your king or your president or the, you know, the respective branch of government is led by trained and able leaders who do the right things. They do the, they do them at the right time. They do them for the right reasons. They don't neglect things that need to be fixed, like sinking roofs and leaky houses. A, a nation is greatly blessed if it has mature, responsible, self-controlled leaders. And, and and so again, it's it's sort of sort of hard to know what to do with verse nineteen. <clears throat> I suppose if it's linked to the improper feasting in verse 17, then we we could probably understand it as some kind of a satirical commentary on the foolishness of that whole mindset. Hey, you know, it's all about fun, you know, it's all about uh, partying, having the money to get it all, you know. whatever but but if verse 19 is part of the theme that we've been seeing repeated again and again and again in Ecclesiastes and this is what i think it is namely the goodness the goodness of the right use and the right enjoyment of god's lavish gifts even money it's all useful it's all good it's all beneficial for getting on in life, if that's what it is, then verse 19 is speaking to what can happen in a society where there is wise, good, mature, selfless leadership. There's a there's a stable, flourishing economy on a national scale. There's there's homes where food and fellowship and um, enough money to meet needs. It, it it really brings to mind, I think. I think this is where we need to go with this. It brings to mind Paul's words to Timothy in First Timothy chapter one, verse or chapter two, verses one and two, that we ought to pray for leaders in high positions, to the end that we may lead a peaceful, quiet life, godly, dignified in every way. So, this is wisdom. This is wisdom for real life, real life issues. Responding to to people in authority over us. Responding to Work, labor, vocation, uh, being moderate in speech and being self-controlled in our politics. Now, I think this is what's really, really crucial as we face texts such as this. We we must not make the mistake of thinking, okay, okay, I, I get it. I've been informed, I understand. let's go. Let's go try, live this way. Let's go do this. <clears throat> try hard. live it. And that would be, I think, mistaken thinking, because there's something going on here in Old Testament texts like this that is far, far more weighty for the Christian. Christian who is wanting to benefit from this kind of wisdom. There's far more going on here than our human understanding. There's far more going on than than our, our our human attempts at trying to apply it and just live it out in our own strength. We could easily slide right into that perspective, right? That's just the nature of our tendency towards legalism. We could, after hearing this, reading this, conclude, there's wisdom. I'm going to work at it. I'm going to try my best to live it out in my own strength and effort. But for the Christian, there is another crucial factor in the equation. This is where the gospel comes in, loved ones. We've got to see this. We've got to see this. So I want to draw your attention in closing here before we observe the Lord's Supper to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26. And following. Paul says, Consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So they're just, let's just slice through all of this. I'm going to try harder business right now. Because here's the point. Verse 30. Because of Him. Who's Him? God is Him. Because of God, you are in Christ Jesus. Who? Who's who? Christ Jesus. God is the source of your life in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus who became Wisdom, He became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Do you see that? God is the source of your life in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ, whom God made to be our wisdom to be our righteousness, to be our sanctification, to be our redemption, to be our transformation. Loved ones, if you're a Christian, then God has given you a new life in Christ. We've got to have our minds clear on this. If you're a Christian, God has made you alive in Christ, spiritually. Change that disposition, the direction of your heart. If you're a Christian, that's what it means. What that means is that you are spiritually connected to Jesus. You are united with the risen Christ, with Jesus. And the life you are now living, you are living in Christ, by Christ, with Christ. You're not alone. You're not alone on this thing. Jesus is there with you, helping you. He's not just my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for rescuing me. See you later. But Jesus is my helper. He's with me. He's in me. He's, He's spiritually helping me live my life. He's exerting His influence. Helping me, supplying grace and power, directing, energizing, giving His life, His wisdom, His righteousness, His transforming power, making it all work within me. And it's all by His very real presence. Now, can we resist Him? <laughs> yeah. Sadly, we all do this sometimes. We even quench the Spirit grieve the spirit of Jesus. But the way that God intends it to work intends Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 13 to chapter 10 to work in you and me is for Jesus to be in me. The wisdom of God to be in me, with me, acting, helping. According to 1 Corinthians 130, this is so crucial. The the very specific help he supplies is wisdom. If what we need is wisdom and virtue and grace in and for every nuanced particular situation that we face each day, this is precisely how Jesus is present and active with us. He is our wisdom. He is our righteousness. He is animating our living, helping us live wisely and righteously in this world. Loved ones, what an incredible thing it is to be a believer in Christ Jesus. Listen, don't ever let your receiving, hearing, taking in of the Bible's wisdom just to be reduced down to... to Just what you can accomplish by your own effort or exercise of your own intellect or the resolve of your own will. Of course course God gave you an intellect. Of course God gave you a will. But just don't waste it. Don't misuse it. Far more important, God has given to us. Right on cue. God has given us Jesus. God has given us Himself. And it is the Spirit of God that brings all that Jesus is into being and reality in our lives. So, how do we benefit from the wisdom of the text here? Read the passage. Hear it preached. Aim to understand it, of course, but there's more. We combine this understanding with faith and reliance. Reliance on the very presence and the power of the Spirit of Jesus. And we pray, even as we reflect and we remain in this Word throughout the week in our discipleship huddles or our own personal devotions or our missional communities. Lord Jesus, help me in all my relationships. Help me in my work. Help me in my speech. Help me in all the areas of my life as I seek to live wisely. Jesus, I'm depending on You. To bring this about in me. To bear this fruit. Thank you that I'm not alone in this. Thank you that this doesn't depend on me and my efforts alone. Be my wisdom. Be my righteousness. Work out your wisdom in my living today. Work out your virtue. Work out your righteousness. Work out your sanctification. Work out your redemption. I want Christ who is my wisdom and righteousness to guide and control and energize all I do so that my life looks more and more and more like Him. Praise God. Amen.